welcome back to another episode of the Gospel Lifeline podcast. My name is Neil Grogan. I'm a pastor in Harker Heights, Texas. I'm here with Matthew Statler from Sierra Vista Baptist Church in Sierra Vista, Arizona. And uh, man, we got an awesome episode waiting for us today. Um, we're bringing in an incredible friend and guest um, who's going to be joining the team uh, from here on out. His name is Robert Kell. But before we get into all that mess, Matt, how's your day going, man? It's going all right. Um, you know, we had a snow again down here in southern Arizona two days ago. I think we got like three to six inches. It was wild. <laughs> yeah, we had a uh, we had a uh, quite quite a bit of snow for Central Texas standards. That's for sure. A couple weeks ago as well, um, kids made a snowman, so that was a first for most of their lives. Um, have your kids seen snow before? You know, we had snow last year, but it was just like a dusting. And then my wife's from New Hampshire, so we've gone up there several times. Well, you know, you can always do. Uh, a dusting for Lent as well to get ready for that. Oh, do you do Lent, Neil? No, don't. <laughs> no. You don't. Need, you don't need that yoke of papist slavery. Uh, I wouldn't go out. Of, hey, man, if you want to do that and you look for a time to prepare your heart for Easter, hey, all the more to you. Um, I usually no, absolutely. try and fast from social media during that time. It's good for my heart. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, like I said a little bit ago, we're uh, going to be talking with Robert Kale today. Robert Kale is a 20 year, 21 year retired Marine uh, gunnery sergeant who was a combat engineer. And all that means, all that means is that he liked to uh, mess around with bombs and blow stuff up and stuff like that. So, pretty interesting job. Um, at least for what Robert specifically did. I think there are other engineers that like work on generators and things like that, but that is not this guy. He's a tried and true combat veteran. Yeah. So Robert, let me ask you a question. I know we're introducing you. So as an engineer, did you do any of those like bridge laying stuff like that? Yeah. Um, just, you know, first, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to what we're going to be able to do in the future going forward. And, um, yeah, I think that, um, you know, Neil said something about he's not a, a generator and stuff like that. Well, no no disrespect to those generator guys, but they're not the real engineers. So in, <laughs> in, in the Marine Corps, yeah, combat engineers is just kind of threefold, right? Just do construction, bridging, and and demolitions and, and, uh, work with the infantry and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I, I was a part of a bridge company in Camp Lejeune. And so that was pretty fun. Both, um, you know, the IRB, like the, the improved ribbon bridges on, and floating those things. And then also the medium girder bridges that you put together. They're like a uh, big Legos. The reason I ask is we yeah, had this man, one Legos. mission. <laughs> yeah. Legos. I had this one mission where we had to lay a bridge and they wanted to use like one of those tank bridge, like, you know, assault, type bridge layers and it took us like five trips and like seven months just to get this thing laid so i was just kind of curious if that was a normal situation for engineers or that was just an army engineer problem hey i was just gonna say not to be disrespectful to you that's an army engineer problem that wouldn't happen (laughs) (laughs) that's what i was hoping for we the the combat engineers would have made a bridge out of their own bodies 
and got yeah. the job and, for and them. Yeah, really <laughs> that. yeah. Yeah. So uh and and you know, Robert and I um were in the same battle space uh in Afghanistan too. So um I know that we were super thankful as infantry guys for our engineers and um definitely would have been mission ineffective without them. And so, man, grateful for all that you did and, and your service to our country, brother. Um, but more than that, that's what you used to do, right? But today, you're the aftercare manager for Mighty Oaks Warrior Programs. Why don't you just give us a brief synopsis of what that means? Yeah, so Mighty Oaks, uh, obviously, I'm sure everybody on here listening knows about it. You've talked about it before. Um, it's, it, you know, faith-based veteran um, help program. Uh, to help veterans get through some of the traumas of life, not just not just specific to combat, because we know that uh, trauma is a life issue. It's not just a combat issue. And sometimes right. it's from childhood. It could be from things that happen outside of, of uh, the battlefield. And so um, when I went through as a student uh, and went back through the leadership process, and then uh, the Lord's blessed me with the opportunity to serve in the capacity of aftercare manager. And really all that means is that um, I kind of oversee everything that happens after the program. Um, and, and that entails, you know, myself and uh, five mentors, uh, assisting guys finding churches, uh, assisting them into find biblical counseling. Um, also, the, the six of us counseling these men uh, through some of their uh, issues um, and then just pointing them to scripture and faith-based and by faith-based, meaning Christian-based uh, resources to um, help cultivate um, the desire in them to want to be in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and, and walk that out instead of the alternative, which is, you know, doing what the world says and doing what makes us feel happy, trusting our hearts and all those kind of crazy things. Yeah. You uh, bring up a interesting point. Um, maybe for some listeners, they might think, you know, well, there's, so there's other options besides things like the VA or the the psychologist or the psychiatrist, well, I can, I can get care in another manner. And so what you're saying is Mighty Oaks um, provides an alternative type of counseling and that that counseling specifically is what we would call biblical counseling, where we use the Bible to counsel through, you know, through issues in life and, um, you know, helping someone go from point A to point B um, into what God's called them to be, right? So that's that's really uh, unique and cool, and we don't really hear a lot about that. I, you know, um, doing some did some se seminary time, right? And uh, one of the things that was I found interesting was how there was essentially like a hundred year gap um, in in writing concerning biblical counseling, uh, and not until really Jay Adams comes on the scene. Does does the Christian church hear that you can counsel with the Bible? That you know, I know Freud talked about making secular pastors. That was a goal of his, right? And so, what we do um, at Mighty Oaks is, man, we open up God's Word and we um, we counsel from that because we believe the Bible is sufficient. And so that kind of brings us to ahead of what we want to talk to you about today, Robert, and that's. Um, little bit of your story 
um, kind of where following your heart led you and uh, how you were trying to cope with the different experiences of life that you had endured. And then, you know, how did God pull you out of that mud and, and how did he use scripture to uh, transform your life? So um, I'll g- go ahead and give us kind of a, a brief, you know, downward spiral of the Robert Kell story. Yeah, I think a lot of times, you know, and we hear this a lot at Mighty Oaks, Neil, so you can attest to this, and, and Matt, you too, at your time there with us. Um, you know, we, we find out that people's lives, when, when they're when they're spun out of control and they come to Mighty Oaks, we, we know that it doesn't always start in combat or doesn't start the first time that rounds come down range or, you know, the first time something goes wrong in their military service period. Um, and so I, I'm like many of those men, you know, my trauma and the things that I was going through started when I was a kid. Um, I was in the foster care system and uh, it was super physical, uh, physically abusive um, and just not a good environment for kids. And, and so um, I grew up there from the time I was nine to 16 um, and in, in, in the same home with the same foster parents. And, and that was kind of... Um, you know, where it all started for me. And I think that what that did essentially was kind of just take away any kind of normal childhood and, and, and make it so you have to start making a lot of big, big people decisions is what I used to call it when I was a kid, you know, me and my brother would talk about it and, and we would, and, and, it, and it was hard, you know, so we would make decisions such as let's say we did that. So our sister doesn't get the beating. Um, and, and just, trying to navigate through that, you know, talking to adults and not having them trust us. And so then, you know, it looks like it's all good on the outside, uh, but on the inside, it's, it's not good. And so um, that kind of led me um, just kind of through, you know, trying to figure out how am I going to figure this out? How am I going to deal with this? How am I going to escape this? And so uh, at the age of 14, I I began to drink and um, with, with some friends of mine, and uh, that was kind of the that was kind of the escape, you know. When you get a little buzz, uh, you're able to uh, not have to think about it, not have to um, make big people decisions, not have to um, constantly have the weight of what we felt like was the world on us. You know, it was it was a reprieve, um, and so that that started at 14, and then by the time I was I would say 16 or 17, I think I was I was pretty much on my way to having, you know, what, what the world would call an addiction, what I would call a worship disorder. Um, and so, <clears throat> you know, I just, uh, saw a Marine at school and, uh, you know, I just saw a goodie looked in his uniform and I just said, you know, I, I want to be a Marine. That guy, I bet you, nobody takes that guy down. Nobody, nobody beats on that dude. Nobody, uh, makes him feel small. He doesn't have to worry about things like that. He's a trained warrior. Um, and so that's, that's what I did. Uh, so I went into the Marine Corps, um, and through that process too, you know, <clears throat> I have, um, you know, your boot camp. you know, my, my girlfriend at the time, she's pregnant. So I, uh, when I get out of boot camp, I get married very quickly. Uh, I'm young. So I'm 19 years old. I have a son. I have no clue how to be a father. I'm, I'm doing the Marine thing. I'm, I'm drinking. I'm, trying to fit into both worlds. And the one world that I fit in the most was the Marine Corps. So it was super easy for me to dedicate all my time, all my effort, all my energy to that. 
um, because I was good at it. Uh, not the best by any means, but you know, I was making it. And, um, and so I just, that's what I did. Um, and so, um, I think by the time I was not, I don't think by the time I was 23, I had three kids, um, and I was in station in Japan and, you know, I'd continued to kind of move through, uh, the, the lower half of the rank structure and, um, you know, still putting all my time and effort into the Marine Corps, going here, going there, coming back. Uh, this is all pre, pre-Iraq and Afghanistan. <clears throat> and just, I wasn't a good husband. I, I did not um, do right by my first wife at all. And um, my kids suffered through that. Um, and, you know, all the while in your head, you're telling yourself, man, I don't want to be like my parents. I don't want to be like my foster parents. I don't want to be like what I see. And so you're trying so hard not to. And then in my own way, I was being like them. And so with the guilt and the shame and, and all that stuff associated with it, you know, my escape again was still drinking. Uh, my first marriage ended uh, and rightly so, you know, she, she left, she'd had enough. And, and um, still to this day, I, I don't, I don't blame her for that. I think that she did the right thing for our kids and um, you know, I wasn't in a good place for sure. And so, um, <clears throat> um, you know, that hit me hard, start drinking and then, you know, more, and, and kind of run into that and to my friends and living through the, living in the world, you know, and then, um, um, started deploying, uh, came back from my first deployment, met my first wife. And then, I mean, my, met my second wife. And then, um, you know, we, we went home, uh, from Okinawa and I went, we got to North Carolina and shortly after we got to North Carolina, I had a really good friend of mine, uh, take his life, uh, in front of me and his wife. Um, and that, I, I would say that that has to be hands down the most traumatic thing I've ever been through. And that really is where I could say, I, I think I just, and, and I don't know if it was me per se, or just it by circumstances, but the light just went out and I was just kind of numb and black and I did not function well at all from that point. Started drinking even more. Um, my second wife ended up being pregnant, um, with, with our, with my youngest daughter. And then we went through, um, you know, several more deployments and, um, through those deployments, losing friends, um, in 2011, my best friend was killed by an IED. Um, and that really shook me to the core as well. Um, and all the while, every deployment kind of just built on and built on and built on. And then by the time <clears throat> my last deployment, um, you know, I'm at the point of my second marriage falling apart. We're getting divorced, feeling like I don't have a family. I was injured in Afghanistan. Um, and and in, in the process of finding out my marriage was over while I was over there. Uh, also knowing that now because I got hurt, my career might also be over. And so I, I hit rock bottom. And I think that that rock bottom... Uh, look like the overwhelming guilt and shame of not having anything for my kids to look to and not having anything for them to say, oh yeah, our dad was great or our dad was a good person. And so uh, I became very um, wrapped up in the thought of how do I, how do I get out of this world <clears throat> without it looking like, like an on-purpose suicide uh, and also, if suicide's the option, you know, making it so that the right people don't find me and those kind of things. And so, you know, there 
be several times where I would sit with a, you know, my pistol pressed to my head uh, or under my chin and in my mouth and just thinking this, this isn't the way I want to go out, but this has to be because I just, I can't take this noise in my head anymore. Long story short, get home, go through some wounded warrior battalion, uh, physical, mental, occupational type therapies to help me through some brain injury stuff and some mental stuff. And I was offered, I was offered the opportunity to go to Mighty Oaks. And when I went to Mighty Oaks, that's where I heard the gospel. And so uh, when I heard the gospel, um, the realization that I, I had was, man, I am just a filthy sinner like this man is talking about. And I am not ever going to be able to save myself. There is no me getting myself out of this mess. And I just surrendered to Christ. And, and, I, and I, I tell people, I didn't, I don't have a recollection of saying, hmm, should I or shouldn't I? You know, like that wasn't a thought process in my head. It was more of a, I need this so badly. Like I need, I need this more than I need air to breathe. I have to have this. I, I want this more than anything. And um, I would say that that was the point in time in the day that um, the Holy Spirit changed my heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And God drew me to himself and pulled me out of the darkness and into the light. Um, and, and I am so thankful for that. And then through that opportunity, uh, after, after, you know, uh, coming into a relationship with Christ, I had the opportunity to go back through the leadership training for Mighty Oaks. And I did that, became a team leader, a team leader trainer. And then now I'm the aftercare manager. And through that process, a guy that was mentoring me named John Fulberg, he was the aftercare manager at that time and just started working with me and really, really pouring into me, but he wasn't giving me John's knowledge. He was giving me biblical knowledge and he wouldn't let me get away with answering things for myself. He would tell me, well, what does scripture say about it? And I remember that, you know, I used to call this guy five or six times a day to ask him questions about verses I was reading and he would answer them and walk it through with me. And then, so I don't know, about a year or so later, he just asked me, he said, Robert, just pray about being a biblical counselor. And I said, sure, I got nothing to lose. So I started praying about being a biblical counselor and I don't remember how long I was praying for that for probably a couple months. And then I remember I came out of a friend's house who was struggling with a meth addiction. And I just remember sitting in my car, just overwhelmed uh, by the power of scripture and how applicable scripture is to life. Because while I was in there with another guy from our outpost group talking to this man, we did not talk about well, this is what Robert would do, or this is what Jason would do, or this is what you should do from your heart or anything like that. We said, this is what the Bible says, and this is what you have to do. If you're a believer and that's what you're claiming, the Bible has direct, you know, plan and and an assessment of this problem and a solution to this problem. And this is how you have to do it. This is what you have to hold on to. This is what you have to start applying. And it all came from the Bible. And I remember just picking up my phone and calling John and saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm in. I want to be a biblical counselor. What do I have to do? And I just started going through the certification process with ACBC. Um, I'm about to turn in my exams now. Um, and uh, as I work through, uh, also become a member of the church that I'm at right now, because uh, I just moved from California to Mississippi. So once the membership there is good, I'll turn in my tests and um, keep moving with that. I was also going to school at master's uh, for biblical counseling. And I, can t- and I uh, also will hopefully get back into that as well now that we're settled here in Mississippi. So that's kind of a little bit about me in a nutshell. And praise God for what he's done in your life. I just want to point out a couple things because, you know, Matt and I have talked a lot about um, 
you know, what this podcast is meant to, to kind of help us with and help the listener with is understanding how the gospel and scripture applies to every aspect of life. You don't have to have these like crazy stories, right? You could be the mom who's, you know, man, just feel spent from, you know, always caring for kids or, or, you know, whatever. So, um, you know, there are, there are a few things you said in your story, which I think are important for us to understand is because I think it, uh, kind of the combat stuff will eclipse, you know, all of these underlying things, you know, there was, there was, uh, did my connection go out for a second there? It seemed like it went out for a second. Okay. Yeah. So the combat stuff will, will sometimes eclipse all of these underlining things that we really have to get to the root of. Right. And so like in your life, we start with this, um, story of abuse in a, in the foster care system, right? And your response to that abuse was to look out for you, you know, and uh, selfish desires, right? Um, to escape. And you escaped in the Marine Corps. You escaped through the bottle. You escaped in, you know, your relationships with women, you know, all, all of those things. And then man, those, those things never go well, right? Anytime we choose us, ultimately it never goes well. We start compounding things. And I love that you pointed out your addiction was a worship problem, which is absolutely right. At the core of a lot of this and, and you know, mostly all of our issues is this addiction or this uh, worship problem we have. Um, we worship ourselves. We worship our vocation. We worship, you know, you name it anything other than God. And when that worship gets corrected, right, the implications for correct worship are a life that glorifies God and a life that is full of enjoyment of God because of your relationship with him. Right. And so, man, when God saved you, you know, and changed that heart, right. Beaten in your chest. Um, man, that was, that was, uh, it did not end trials in your life, which I think is important. We understand we don't come into relationship with Christ and then it's just like perfection and we're all have these halos and we, we hover above the ground. Right. (laughs) But what it did do was it helped you realize, um, the weight of your sin and, and God gave you the spiritual resources you needed to start pursuing him and killing sin in your life. Um, and so, man, praise be his name for those work. But the main spiritual resource he gives us is what, Matt? What's the word? And, and yeah. I, I saw I saw how he used that in your life. Um, man, I really like how you tied it in to the end there with your talking with John Fulberg and just the, the blessing he was in your life because he kept asking you, well, what does the word say? Um, and more and more, as as we we look at at things in life, we realize that our hearts are kind of like the control center for the rest of our lives. And if our if our heart is tuned to the things of this world and how we worldly respond to things, where do we find refuge? Well, we we find refuge in what we have always been told, right? Like a good marine is one that's 
divorced several times or a good gunny is one that's been divorced several times and drinks all the time, right? That's kind of, at least in the army, that's kind of the mentality. A good first sergeant, a good sergeant major is one who has been uh, divorced multiple times and is a drunk essentially. And has an and if we And has NJP, right? And, and if we have that, that view of dealing with our life and our problems, well, we're going to respond in the same way. And so what I think John Fulberg was doing was really washing you with the word essentially and trying to clean out that, that, that gunk that you have developed over time. I mean, same as in my life and Neil's as well. So, so what did you find particularly, um, I guess, amazing or mind blowing about, how God used the word in your life. I mean, and I ask a, a lot of my counselees this kind of same question. I said, what does me handing you a page with a bunch of words on it really make a difference in your, in your personal life? Right. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about your, um, your journey with the sufficiency of scripture. Yeah. I mean, you, you hear all the time. And so I, I'll just, you know, kind of go to the, what's the go-to verse for us to talk about sufficiency of scripture uh, as Christians, right? Second Timothy uh, 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And then verse 17 kind of ties it all together, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so I really just started to look at things through that lens. Um, and that was just a real basic breakdown, right? Okay, well, how is this training me? How is it teaching? Or what is it teaching me right now? Okay, it's teaching me that this is how God wants things. This is how I'm not doing things. And it moves into the next thing. Now he, now this, the word is rebuking me. It's, it's telling me, hey, Robert, if you're a Christian and you're not doing this, and then the next step for correcting, right? Now here's how you can start to do that and put it into your life and apply it. And then this whole training in righteousness thing, right? It's just kind of putting all that together, what the word is teaching you, how it's rebuking you, how it's correcting you, putting it into application and walking it out. Um, I... I I don't know if this is, this is definitely not a biblical definition as far as, you know, something, but just, I would always tell myself, you can have a head knowledge of the word and just know a bunch of Bible verses, or you can have wisdom in the word, which to me would be knowledge that you can apply to your life and walk out. And so I just tried to do that. And, you know, as I started moving on, especially once I decided uh, that I, I felt that the Lord was leading me towards biblical counseling, um, that that second part that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. If, if you're going to be a biblical counselor, you got to be, you got to be in the word and it, you don't have to be in the word to have a bunch of knowledge so that you can recite verses to counselees and so that you can make them feel good with some fluffy promise from the Bible, right? No, you, you need to be in the word because you need to know how it works. There's nothing more powerful to me. And you guys know this from Mighty Oaks is testimony. And we share testimony with these men about this is where we were in the darkness. This is how we got to where we came so that we could hear the truth. And now this is us in the light and we struggle still, but we go to the word. We, we, we fall back on scripture, that main resource, Matt, like you said. And so I just tr started to try to really look at everything through that lens. And then of course, you know, I, I can remember, uh, I used to struggle a lot with anxiety and it was I think a good definition for me when I, when I work with counselees and even as I was working through it myself, just, and again, I still struggle with anxiety sometimes, but the fear of the things that I can't control, right? I can't control how many people are in the Walmart when I'm there. I can't control 
whether my kids are going to decide to be obedient and not drive me crazy. I can't control X, Y, and Z, but I can control my responses. I can control my emotions. And um, I think that when you go to Bible verses in Philippians 4, 6 about don't be anxious for anything, you know, but in prayer and supplication and things like that, well, scripture becomes real when you take that scripture and you say, well, what is God teaching me right now? He's telling me not to be anxious. Okay, well, how do I do that? And I'm anxious. So I know what he's rebuking me about because I'm anxious. Well, how do I walk this out now? And if you go through that passage, and that's why we always tell people, don't just read one verse. Don't be anxious for anything and then walk away and, and, and you know, think that it's a done deal. You got to keep reading. Well, don't be anxious. Okay, great. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate it. But now what? Right? And so it, it it's there. It tells us, you know, hey, Everything, take everything to, to God in prayer and supplication. And then it continues. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind. I wanted that peace so bad. I remember that, you know, Jeremy Stalnegger was the one that was was proclaiming the gospel the night that, that, God called, that God called me out of the darkness. And as he was getting ready to do that gospel presentation, he, he was telling us his story interweaved in the class he was teaching. And I remember saying... Man, this guy's had a hard life too at some points. And if I could have 10 seconds of the peace that he had, I would hold that for the rest of my life to turn off all this noise in my head and all this anxiety and things. And when I read a scripture like that, it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, I'm a believer. I want peace. I want to stay in Jesus. Now what? Go down one more verse, right? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, so on and so forth, right? Those are the things that I need to be focusing on. And so when I just started applying the scripture to my life, instead of just trying to read a verse and then close the Bible and then hope on a, you know, hope on a whim that God might hook me up and not having a seek God's hand only mentality, but I wanted to seek his face first, then the word transformed me because I saw God working in my life through scripture, through the things that he was promising would, would happen if we would do these things. That doesn't mean my life's been super easy. I'm not rich. I don't have boats and cars and all these prosperity things. I don't care about that. Yeah. He's given me the ultimate gift. And if he never gave me anything after that, I would have been okay with it. He gave me salvation. Amen. Right. And so from then, and then he gave me the word. Now I have a beautiful wife. I have a restored relationship with my children. And that's because the word says, if you do this, this, and this, the Lord will work in your life. If you forgive others, they'll forgive you. If you pick up your cross and follow Christ, you're a disciple of Christ. And all of these things I just started watching as God used his word to just really change my heart. And that's what I needed. I need the Holy Spirit replaced my heart of stone with a heart of flesh, but within that heart of flesh, right? There was some still some things that get in there that I don't need in there. And the word is, is, you know, it talks about it in Hebrews about that two edged sword. It cuts you, you know, gets to the soul and pulling all that crap out so that we can get rid of it. And that's, that's it. It's a constant state of being in repentance when I do stuff wrong and a constant Lord pull out of my heart, the sin so that I can, you know, put it to death. Yeah, you, you said a couple of really awesome things there, Robert. One of the things I hear a lot from counselees is they'll say, man, I keep asking God to just remove this thing from me. Like, I don't want to struggle with this anymore. You know, I don't want to have this porn addiction anymore. I don't want to have this, uh, um, you know, 
eating issue anymore where every time I'm down, I have to eat stuff to make me feel better, whatever. I don't want to struggle anymore. God, take it from me. And what you're saying is, first of all, negative. We need to repent and replace. We confess our sin. We turn away from our sin, turn towards God. What does he say to do? And then we replace it with what he says to do. And that's how we kill this, these sins, right? That's the process. Confess, repent, replace. That's, that's one of the things Nicholas Ellen really um, hammers home when he talks about like sexual addiction and things like that, of that nature. And I, the other thing I really appreciated that you pointed out in 2 Timothy 3 is you kind of gave this, this uh, um, foundational understanding of, of the heart. The text talk, is talking about the heart there, right? Like, uh, we understand the heart as something dynamic. Scripture teaches that it the heart is encompassed of our beliefs, of our desires, and our behaviors. And that's how the Bible paints the picture. And then in this text, uh, what what is the word good for? You know, or it's inspired, it's breathed out by God, and uh, it teaches. So what does teaching do? It corrects wrong belief, which is a heart issue. Uh, it corrects. What does it correct? Well, wrong desires. Right. It, it shows us the things we should be desiring and then uh, trains us in righteousness. Well, what does that do? Well, that affects our behaviors. It changes our behaviors. And so, man, scripture is all about transformation of the heart to make you from this um, enemy and this rebel of God, this treasonous person into the image of Christ. And so, man, praise be his name. Right. Because he's given us everything we need in his word to become, to change from this position to this position. It makes us wise Man, and, and just salvation. To, just to back you up on that, Neil, I mean, second Tim or second Peter chapter mm -hmm. three says his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness right. through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, everything for life and godliness, right? So if we want to improve in our virtues, if we want to improve in our faith, we have to be zealous for um, this this goodness and the goodness that comes with knowledge and self-control and endurance and and all these aspects. And so, man, um, you know, thanks so much for sharing with us, Robert. Man, what a blessing it is to hear your testimony and, and an encouragement to us and and anyone who's listening, you know, I, I'm kind of I was kind of thinking about the mom with um, you know, at staying at home mom with a with the hundreds of kids and she's dealing with all the chaos that happens. And, um, she, she wakes up in the morning and is just like, I don't know if I can make it through another day right now. And, and just to realize, well, what does she need to do? Well, she needs to, to throw her trust on Christ to bring her through that moment. Kind of like you were saying with the, um, the anxiety piece, right? That piece that passes understanding to beg God for that, to ask for it, to pursue it, through the knowledge of his word and through, um, through that faith. And so anyways, um, what a, what a blessing that is to, um, to hear your testimony and then hear the word reinforced in your life. Yeah. So guys, we're, we're so thankful that you listened in this week and, uh, man, we look forward to what's coming down the pipe. Robert's going to be joining us permanently on the podcast. So we're super excited about that. You know, I think about like, the blessing in my life of getting to do a podcast with a couple of my best friends. So it's pretty dope. 
Um, but also on top of that, we're going to be kind of continuing on in this series about the word of God and, and what it does and, and what we're going to address some things like biblical meditation, which, you know, piggybacks like, uh, Philippians four, eight, which was one of the, the verses Robert talked about that we, whatever is true is where this starts. Think about these things, dwell on these things, right? So we want to, we want to dwell about what is on what is true. So we're looking forward to, um, diving into some other things and some, uh, spiritual disciplines, uh, as we go forward. Um, guys, thanks again. Another episode of the gospel lifeline podcast. I'm Neil Grogan. Matt Statler. And I'm Robert Kale. Thanks for listening. <laughs>